Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. We're back with another remote edition of OA On Air this week and trying to get back into the swing of things. Cosmo Macera and I will catch up and talk through some of the most recent news from the past few weeks. And then I talk with representatives of the Mass Coalition of Nurse Practitioners about Governor Baker's recent executive order. And Tom talks to our own Jamie Dunbar about news and updates coming out of Massachusetts as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. All right, Cayenne, here we are, week two of the remote social distance episode of OA on Air, week three of um, remote operations for O'Neill and Associates and much of the economy that's able to do that. Uh, and, um, and here we go. Here we are. How are you holding up? Uh, so far, so good. Um, I, I think I've had one day where I was like, oh, gosh, I just, wow. Um, but for the most part, I'm trying to find the silver linings and just accept the fact that some days are going to be better than others in terms of the balance. Obviously, I'm home with a six-year-old. I know you're home with your kids, too. Uh, for parents that are at home working, uh, and I feel fortunate and, and happy to still be working, but uh, balancing that with school and just being present, not all not all days are as good as others, but that's okay. And, um, you know, just what a what a new what a new world we're living in. I mean, it's, we're all in this together, truly. And I think that that will be the tie that binds us for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, we're all sort of living this in, in, in similar fashion, but also just observing uh, the human condition in, in, in our own households and how people are, you know, existing together. I, I've joked that we're all it, it, we're all going to feel like every household's going to feel like a, a one room log cabin at some point because that's kind of how you're living. And I, it's been remarkable to, to, to see um, the homeschooling process, right? Which think about homeschooling, which was is you know, traditionally I think is seen as a very outside the mainstream kind of unique, specialized family dynamic that uh, that people participate in because they have a certain view toward education. And now everyone literally is involved in some form of homeschooling because the level of of support and um, uh, and, and and comprehensiveness with the curriculum from your your uh, respective school district varies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first day we began sort of actual schooling was it was a, a rebellion and a fiasco and it, Everyone went to the principal's office, and one of the teachers was fired immediately. And and I think a, that teacher was you. That's right. Within, <laughs> a, within a couple of days, the kid, my boys are calling it school, and it's structured, and uh, it's amazing. So the 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 ability of people to adapt to circumstances, very difficult ones, uh, is really interesting to see. Yeah, I've been really blown away by the the process and just so grateful that we have the technology that we are able to do this. Um, my son has, you know, my son's in kindergarten. It's hard to structure kindergarten, but he has one hour a day, um, usually somewhere, somewhere within 30 to 60 minutes with his teacher and his class via Zoom conference. 
Um, and then they're sending out lessons. Music teachers are sending videos. Uh, the gym teacher is posting um, videos to Facebook every day. It's been really great to see. I think when, particularly when the governor made the decision to extend the school closings until early May, we saw an even bigger shift in schools really taking this on. WGBH has stepped up and you know uh, ensured programming throughout the day that's educational for kids because there is a recognition that we are not all equal in this in terms of access to internet or computers or whatever it may be. Um, so you know, kudos certainly to the Department of Education, I think, in the administration for, for that partnership and GBH stepping up because I think it's going to make a difference for a lot of households. And I'm, you know, I've been very impressed since the beginning with how our school has really responded to it. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see as we go forward what parts of this stick. You know, when the um, when the commissioner came out and talked about the extension and some of these things, he said, I, I hope schools are looking at this as an opportunity of new ways that we can be teaching children. Uh, so who knows, you know, what this looks like in the long term or, or how this may affect how kids are learning forever, right? That's yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. I, I, I want to talk more about the things that we're adapting to, the habits we're forming out of necessity and, and how those, uh, which of those and to what level they will be um, adopted permanently in some way. Um and you also mentioned sort of the silver linings. One of them for, for 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 our home, for our family. You know, my younger son is actually, I think, just for whatever reason, um, more uh, sort of readily uh, using uh, technology in certain ways than than my older son. Um, and now, out of necessity, my my seventeen year old, who's a junior in high school, um, is. They're using, you know, Google Meets and Zoom calls in a way that is, he has to participate. And that means he has to <clears throat> learn these skills and start doing things like checking his email regularly, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not something necessarily he's done. And, and it's bringing about, you know, good habits to, to have uh, to enter uh, adulthood. So I think that that's a silver lining. Uh, that's a great I also, point. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, almost immediately, you know, our family's been involved in, like, I think three, you know, un unrelated to the pandemic, but necessary nonetheless, three significant telehealth appointments, including one that was like 90 minutes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, talk about a barrier being broken down, you know, I mean, uh, our, our, um, our healthcare system, um, you know, which in, in one in, in in a very very obvious way is being incredibly stressed by the pandemic, has been forced to improvise and move quicker or quickly into things where there had been serious barriers. Telehealth being one, and and that's I don't think that you know, uh, to all of our benefit, that's not going back. You will be able to, in my opinion, have more regular uh, and, and more official, meaning covered by insurance, telehealth appointments with your providers. And I think that's a good thing as a result of this. Same with education. You know, these techniques 
of homeschooling and remote learning, it's, you know, it isn't, it isn't like we're going to eliminate live in-person classroom education, but it's going to open up a whole new world. I really think we're going to see, and we haven't really had the opportunity, to, at least in my house, to, to see how it's working. But certainly higher education is going to be dramatically impacted. Um, uh, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a positive way in terms of the sustainability of certain colleges and universities, but the programming, the online learning um, is only going to get better, I think, as a result of this. Yeah, you know, I think from, uh, and this is not to underestimate the the current situation we're in, but it is disruptive to say the least. And from disruption often comes innovation. Um, and I, for a lot of schools that have been perhaps dipping their toe in the water of online learning, um, they've had to fully immerse themselves. And I think in the long run, that's, that's going to be beneficial. It opens up uh, the community of, of who your students can be and where they can live and you know, I think that's good for everyone. Um, and it's, you know, same goes for offices. We're seeing offices work purely remotely. That's, you know, that's what our office is doing. And we figured out to how to produce a, a podcast <laughs> remotely, which we, you know, we weren't sure was something that we could do. Um, people are pushing, pushing the limits. And it's been interesting to see how we're all responding and adapting and really making it work. And I think that's a testament to people in so many levels, whether it's parents and school administrators and teachers to bosses and organizational business leaders to our political leaders and elected officials. Everyone has sort of said, what, what do we need to do to keep our economy running to keep the world moving to keep people productive and connected and if there are things that are standing in the way of that now's the time to push them aside i think that's yeah. really powerful i think it is i think you're absolutely right i wonder also because i mean we're right in the middle of this we might not even be right in the middle of this we might still be on the front end and, and not even in the, in the in the depths of, of of this pandemic being at its worst but let's be optimistic, Cayenne. Let's 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 assume, uh, which I think is correct, that there that there will be a natural end to the pandemic and the outbreak and the, and, a, and a peak in cases and deaths and and then a, and then a movement to, toward normalcy. But I, I have to assume that some level of lingering anxiety and f even fear will persist and, and change people's behaviors. Maybe mm -hmm. not. Maybe not so drastically that people will never want to return to a football game or a baseball game or a live concert or large meetings. But things, I think, where you can make a choice, well, do we really need to have 40 people in this conference room or in this, in this small meeting room? Do, or, or can that meeting of 15 people should it just be a conference, a video conference? And, and, and those are decisions I think that people were already kind of making before this happened. But the default was always toward the exception is, yeah, I guess we'll just do a video conference. Or, and I think what, that may change. I also, you know, among the industries that have been most uh, you know, dramatically hurt right off the bat, 
certainly hospitality and restaurants and performance, you know, performance. And, I, and I've watched a lot of performers trying to trying to, you know, get through this by, con, you know, doing Facebook Live and other remote um, streaming performances and, and trying to generate some revenue that way. And the technology is already there and, and, and the experience is already at least enough that you could enjoy a performance that maybe maybe it won't eliminate. And I hope it never does the, 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 the beauty of a live performance. But maybe there'll be a category of yeah we're gonna do we're gonna do a pay per view show, um, a pay per view only show, and it's going to be you know and and, and you pay you pay forty nine dollars and and you, and that's how you're watching that live concert and and it's, and it's a studio production but it's a live moment and I think these things are going to sort of find a way into how we experience entertainment and. And, and things like that. I hope it doesn't replace um, live events, but uh, I, I think some people are going to go back to to life after this pandemic and say, I'm not in a rush to be in a sweaty, uh, <laughs> sweaty nightclub with, with 3000 people. Yeah. I, you know, I think it, I think it's going to make us all a bit more germaphobic. I don't know that that's a bad thing um, in terms of just upping the cleanliness game of, of hand washing and just being aware of what we're touching and things like that. Uh, when you talk about entertainment, I think it's been really great actually to see how the entertainment industry has responded to this. As a result, I think what we're going to see is technology and platforms that are allowing them to do this to figure out how to step up their game to make the experience that much more whether it's interactive or high def or 3D or whatever it may be, um, I think we're going to see those things be enhanced um, with that in mind of what the future is going to look like. And, you know, one of the we've all been talking about is when this is all over and for brands and companies that are really struggling through this process, you know, at the end of this, everyone's going to remember who did the right thing who stepped up, who went out of their way to be accommodating, uh, you know, when we're talking about entertainers, are, are you stepping up to find ways to keep your fans entertained and, and really do the right thing and give back companies? Are you doing right by your employees? Um, are you finding ways to give back to this, to, to the community amidst all this, as we see so many companies, you know, saying, okay, we're not making sneakers, we're not making furniture, we're not making, you know, whatever it may be, you know, we're not making hockey masks, we're making gear and protective equipment. Um, that's all going to, we're going to see brands come out of this, um, I think, either really winning uh, or or not so much, quite honestly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> that's... <sighs> That's the fascinating, I think, part of of all this, and and I think we all agree we we would have rather not to have to experience any of this, uh, and experience the loss of life and the and the devastating economic impact, obviously, and 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 and, and everything else. But um, it, it is a transformational event for the entire world, and 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 that means uh, commerce is going to be transformed, and business is going to be transformed, and the way we live. Um, 
and 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 the way a firm like ours, O'Neill and Associates, services clients in some ways, I mean, or in many ways, we you know we, we've been preaching digital first for a long time, but it's it's all the more important. Um, and uh, it is the um, digital communication is literally the lifeline keeping the keeping the entire globe connected right now, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's a pretty powerful moment. I want to I want to talk just for a moment about uh, an important piece of news this week and and you know an inspiring event uh, also a uh, something that was done out of necessity and that's the New England Patriots private jet being used being commissioned uh, and really a renegade kind of cowboy mission that orchestrated by Governor Baker and Robert and Jonathan Kraft the New England Patriots and and the Kraft family and and using that plane to make a trip to China to retrieve uh, over 1 million um, masks and personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It was, it was a pretty amazing event. And I know the governor was pretty choked up um, at the press conference, which by the way, there was very poor social distancing being practiced at that press conference at Logan airport. But uh, um, I think that, it was sorry about that kids you know um <laughs> it it was one of those moments where you really saw the power of what one person one organization can do what happens when a community comes together uh truly united and what happens when everyone just sort of looks around and says what part can i play in this um, and, you know, Governor Baker was was clearly emotional and incredibly grateful. And it's, you know, those are the moments we need too. Uh, so it just it, it felt it felt good. And, you know, gr- congratulations and, and thank you to the Patriots and the craft organization for doing that. Um, it's going to make a huge difference. And I can't imagine uh, that there's any way for people to to kind of walk away from that and maybe look at their community, their life that they're living and say, you know, is there something I could be doing that I'm not doing right now? Yeah, no, I agree. It it was, uh, and, and, you know, during this, this uh, crisis so far, we've seen different, uh, different brands of leadership. Uh, We'll keep this positive. I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the president because I think the president's brand of leadership has not been ideal in this case, but, but, uh, the, the governors of many states, not all, uh, the governors of a number of key states have been, have shown great leadership. And, and I think you've seen sort of the, the people look to the, you know, the governor of New York as this inspiring figure and, and maybe Governor Baker has been looked at a little bit more as, as what he is, which is the problem solver type, the technocrat. Uh, and, and you know what? This was a problem to be solved and, and it was him orchestrating the process of getting on the phone and, and for, I think first they tried to order a lot of masks from uh, you know like BJ's or they did all these different things to solve this problem and then he thought big and, and put this together and um, you know score one for the technocrat uh, because that's that's what the Commonwealth needed you know the Commonwealth needed that problem to be solved mm-hmm. I think the next one he's on to is the, is, is is the ventilators but uh, it was a, it was an important moment. 
Yes. And he, it was to your point, just further proof. He's really has been just digging in and saying, what do we need to, to move things forward um, in so many industries and in so many ways. And he's been doing that really from day one. Yeah. All right, Kaya, what are you looking for as we close out here? What are you looking for next week? I'm, I've been trying to, you know, inter, you know, I've been trying to make this a more normal experience. Uh, well, not normal, just adapt to this experience for week. I, I, you know, and I, and I have, I have found uh, myself doing, you know, going out less and less. I mean, taking fewer trips for supplies and, and, and just really adapting to sort of being in the home, being at the homestead. And, and But uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to adapt a little bit more each week. Any goals for next week? Anything you want to try and do to, to make life um, in my isolation? My goal is to get outside with my son three days a week. I mean, uh, three days a week, three times a day, uh, just, you know, in the morning to start the day in the middle of the day, and then kind of at the end of the day to signal the end of the day mentally. So my goal uh, for next week is to achieve that at least all five work days. <laughs> Excellent. That's a good goal. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's, I would say that's part of mine is um, have a more regular um, regular schedule of uh of getting you know getting outdoors and uh uh breathing some fresh air and walking around a bit uh within within reason and um i still find that for mental health a good drive with no real destination except coming back home is, is not a bad thing to do I, I i don't i don't know if we may be at the point where that's sort of being discouraged i don't i don't think so i think that that's reasonable to you know, so I, I I'll go on a drive. That's a good mental health thing. And uh, we, I, my son Deacon and I, made a big trip to the ATM, um, and uh, we were joking how in in uh, in isolation world, that's like uh, that was the equivalent of like going to a football game. You know, that was how that was. <laughs> yeah, we went. We went the, the excitement for the week was going to the driving to the ATM. <laughs> it's it's the little things these days. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. I mean, one you know, one of the silver linings is you appreciate um, very small things in life now become uh, things you appreciate very much. Hey, that's not a bad lesson. It's not. It, it, it's not. You know. Um. I. You know. Yeah. It's not. All right. Cayenne, take care. Take care of your family and. Uh, Thank you, you too. Right. My best to the Maceros. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Kyan Isaacson. I'm joined today by Laura Black and Leah McKinnon-Howe from the Massachusetts Coalition of Nurse Practitioners. Laura and Leah, thank you for joining me. We're glad to be here. So last week, uh, Governor Baker issued an executive order authorizing independent practice authority for nurse practitioners in Massachusetts in response to, in response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Um, can you tell me exactly 
what does the executive order mean for nurse practitioners in Massachusetts? Um, I, I guess I'll start. If that's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think what it does is it actually allows nurse practitioners to do what they have been doing, but doing it independently and in such a way that they can practice unencumbered. So the, the way that the laws were previously written, nurse practitioners required a physician to supervise their prescriptive practice, uh, and but it was not something that actually occurred in real time. And for a nurse practitioner to write prescriptions in Massachusetts, uh, he or she has to be tied to a supervising physician, which is really limiting when nurse practitioners are called upon to move across different practice settings really kind of nimbly when you think about uh, responding to the needs of, of those who are currently dealing with COVID-19 virus. So for me to go to a different practice site, I would have to get another supervising physician and I would have to register that through the um, Department of Public Health or the Drug Enforcement Agency to have that physician of record in order for me to be able to prescribe, which is incredibly cumbersome. And uh, with the current state of affairs being what it is, nurse practitioners are being deployed to different places and need to be able to do that with relative ease. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like it, it provides more flexibility, uh, which, which I, I would think then translates to an, inc an increased ability to provide services, right, to, to patients while we're seeing such an influx of them across the medical system. Correct. And uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, can one of you, perhaps Laura, can you just explain what what is a nurse practitioner? And, you know, we talk a lot about the extensive training and education that nurses have. Can you talk a little bit about, about what that is? Sure. So a nurse practitioner is a registered nurse who has gone on to receive a um, higher level of education. Uh, many requirement is to have a master's, be master's prepared, but there are many nurse practitioners who have gone on to either become what's called a DNP or a doctor of nursing practice and be doctorally prepared in that way, or to uh, get a PhD and, and further their education in that way as well. So a nurse practitioner has the ability to assess and diagnose, uh, interpret lab tests, and prescribe for patients, um, is able to manage chronic conditions, is able to engage acutely with patients, and is able to provide um, all sorts of all different levels of care from primary care to specialty care for their patients. Um, again, with that very high level of critical thinking, high level of education and an extremely high level of training uh, that has taken them years in order to um, really truly develop the skill and become educated and trained well enough to perform at the, the highest level of practice. And one of the things that we've always talked about um, it, for nurse practitioners is this idea that by taking the restrictions off of nurse practitioners, it really increases access to healthcare, which is needed uh, really on any given day, um, yeah. unfortunately, and, in, and particularly in some areas of the Commonwealth, um, but particularly right now uh, during 
you know, this unprecedented time where everyone's just kind of, it's all hands on deck and everyone's doing what they can. By granting independent practice authority to nurse practitioners, what is it, what will it mean for patients who are accessing care or trying to access care right now? I can speak to this. I, I have real experience in this um, as working with Commonwealth Care Alliance. We take care of almost 40,000 dual eligible individuals who are the most vulnerable and the riskiest population. And we are hearing from our members that they're unable to get in touch with primary care providers. There are many ambulatory settings that have closed down and, um, and, and our patients and our members are having a very, very difficult time accessing their primary care providers. So by allowing nurse practitioners to freely move across different practice settings, it would enable um, patients to really, it would allow nurse practitioners to fill that gap that exists in primary care today. So for example, nurse practitioners would be able to do telehealth across various systems, um, be able to do bridge prescribing, particularly when patients are not able to get in touch with their PCP of record. And so allowing us to ensure that during this period of time, it's it's not just about COVID, it's also about um, being able to manage some pretty uh, complex, very medically complex individuals and just ensure that we're keeping them up to date on their diabetes management and their heart failure management, their kidney, their renal management. So there's all other areas that still need to be attended to. And and with the drain that's happening and primary care providers being pulled away and deployed to other places, this really does allow nurse practitioners to step in and fill that gap. And I work... I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. And, and I work with a, a very different kind of population. I actually am a college health provider. And I think in 2016, there were almost 200,000 college students in the state of Massachusetts. And I work with many colleagues who run college health centers, many of whom still have students on campus because they can't travel. Um, we've been working with and dealing with the COVID crisis since it arrived in Boston in, in January with the very first case, uh, preparing our campuses to get ready. And uh, we are currently providing telemedicine and telehealth visits uh, for students because we don't want them to come to campus. We have people sheltering at home, staying at home, and patients, especially students, I need us more than ever because they need to talk to someone who can help to talk them through, is this cough representative of COVID? Do I need to go to the hospital? We're trying to keep people away from emergency departments and trying to uh, maintain sufficient resources for those who really need them by walking through people, walking people through the process of figuring out uh, the type of care that they need. Can we manage them at home? Uh, when they absolutely need to be evaluated in an emergency department and when or if testing uh, is actually needed. So um, I, I see many of us trying to support those who are living in the community um, while with, with COVID uh, because I think the vast majority of folks do not become critically ill and do not end up in the hospital, but they're dealing with their symptoms and the rest of their health issues at home. Mm-hmm. So you both raise a, an excellent point, which is something that, you know, is sometimes getting lost amongst all of this is an influx of people 
of course, needing treatment, care, or guidance on possibly COVID-19 related symptoms. But then there's the other part of the population who still just needs access to their healthcare, whether or not they're a vulnerable population, if they're, you know, already have um, medical medical issues that they're dealing with, or just becoming sick or having other emergency issues. And um, going back to the independent practice authority, one of the as this has been an issue here in Massachusetts for a while around full practice authority for nurse practitioners is that increased access, um, the ability to help with the ongoing opioid epidemic, which we are not seeing an end of right now. It's not like the, these other problems that were in place have suddenly vanished. For anyone who's, who's listening um, right now, and it, it, as people working on the front lines and helping to manage um, healthcare and serve patients right now, what would you guys want people to know um, as, as a takeaway from this? I think what I'd like people to know is that nurse practitioners are highly qualified, um, educated professionals who provide uh, primary care health service as well as specialty health care services in a safe, cost-effective, and uh, excellent way. And, and I think that by virtue of our numbers, there are 11,000 nurse practitioners in Massachusetts or somewhere thereabouts. Uh, we, we certainly have um, a workforce that is skilled and ready and, uh, and willing to step up and uh, take responsibility for patients and helping them to, to access health care and maintain the best health care that they can. Laura, is there anything you'd like to add? Yes, I, I think, too, by allowing for full practice authority or independent practice uh, authority just really, truly allows for, as, as um, Leah had said, that ability to nimbly move across different healthcare settings across the continuum. And I just think that this is the time um, of all times where it's so critical and important to take advantage of that skill that's, that nurse practitioners have. And this will be the opportunity that nurse practitioners have to um, prove themselves and the, the profession is truly being able to uh, meet the needs of, of populations. And hopefully this will be the beginning of... Um, you know, of oh, the wave of the future. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time. I know you have very busy days um, on a, during normal times <laughs> and especially now. So thank you. And thank you for your, for your ongoing service. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks. Thanks.
Jamie, how are you? I'm well today, Tom. Thank you very much. It's been an interesting well, day. It sure has been, but it's been an interesting month. We're in actually the beginning of week four or the end of week three and a half, I guess, of the coronavirus as we've come to a point where we're all living with it. And every day we get reports from the administration in Washington. We get them from Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, and we get them from the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, along with the, mayor, the governor of New York, who... Um, who entertains us every day with fireside chats. But it's very serious. And, you know, Jamie, you ought to just go through the numbers given out by Charlie Baker today as to what he sees, the pandemic, the height of it, when we can expect it, how many, how many, how many cases will we have, how many lives are estimated to be taken. Yeah, absolutely. Today was a little bit of a sobering day. I mean, it's all been a very sobering couple of weeks and and you know there's there you're right it's it's not funny there are no jokes but uh, uh it is a new way of life but today i think um was 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 really interesting and telling given the fact that the commonwealth is certainly preparing for what they are calling the surge uh they believe a surge in cases could be up to 140,000 to 172,000 people um, um diagnosed as as covid positive uh, in, in the next coming weeks. Uh, they're anticipating that this surge to hit Massachusetts sometime between April 10th and April 20th. Um, along with those numbers, unfortunately, they're currently projecting a one and a half percent mortality rate. Um, it's certainly significantly lower mortality rate than many other uh, places around the world and even in the U.S. Um, but but it's it's telling, it's sobering, and um, they're, they're doing their best to prepare for this surge. And the reason the mortality rate is down, at least as far as projections are concerned, is because people are paying attention to what the mayor has to say and what the governor has to say in advising behavior? Absolutely right. Uh, the governor outlined today a number of uh, the reasons and what they're sort of plugging into to come up with the algorithm of, of when, uh, as well as to try to best project what the peak uh, in Massachusetts looks like, meaning the um, flattening of the curve. Uh, they are crediting the fact that uh, Massachusetts citizens, by and large, uh, have taken the stay-at-home order seriously. Um, they, they, you know, really credited uh, Massachusetts citizens for, for doing such. Um, obviously, our healthcare system here—we're very, very fortunate to be among some of the best hospitals and healthcare providers in the country. Um, but there's no doubt that um, uh, the veracity of uh, the illness when people get it in Massachusetts so far uh, seems to be something that's manageable, which also uh, keeps keeps the percentage down. And, you know, uh, a lot of folks uh, surmise that that's because um, COVID is not only uh, it's the amount that you're exposed to and how much you sort of uh, have in your system before it presents itself. And so if you take the social distancing seriously, hopefully it's a much milder amount and a much milder case. Let's change the subject a little bit. We had the governor today talk about the humanitarian effort on the part of the of the of the Patriots and the Kraft family. And you want to shed some light on that exactly what happened and how it happened? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. Unfortunately, it's not as exciting as as raising a new trophy uh, because of the seriousness of uh, of what that plane contained and the steps they had to go through to get it. But uh, what an incredible joint operation! Uh, and to see a state, a commonwealth, along with uh, a private industry pull off 
uh, this humanitarian Herculean effort. Um, it, it, it was a coordination started back just as long ago as March 24th, uh, was when the plan was sort of concocted. And it took the coordination of the consulate, the Chinese consulate in New York City, uh, uh, other, other folks from um, uh, government, throughout government, uh, both in the state of Ohio and the state of Alaska, to allow for uh, landings, takeoffs, refuelings, and, and rest for the folks carrying out the mission flying the craft's uh, aircraft. Um, it, uh, and, and it obviously took incredible coordination once they landed um, in China. Uh, the Chinese government allowed for the pilots to stay on the plane uh, while it was loaded, and they were able to uh, come back. And again, Alaska allowed them to stay and, and refuel and rest. Um, but uh, everything from even there, they found out it, with with hours to go that the pilots needed certain visas. Um, and folks, uh, you know, they took pictures at a pharmacy, flew them to um, you know New York and Washington where they needed approvals, uh, and flew them back to Ohio. Uh, put them in the hands of the pilots and they were able to go. So um, it really, uh, the coordination and the effort is, is is something like you see in the movies. And how much equipment, PP&E, were, were on, that, on that plane coming in here? Yeah, I think they were projecting or, or they had a purchase for up to maybe uh, 1.7 to 2 million pieces of PPE. Uh, my understanding is they were able to come back with just over a million uh, the, the rest of the order is being held by uh, trusted uh, uh, partners in China and, and should be making their way uh, stateside soon as well. Um, but other than um, uh, a little bit being siphoned off and shared with Governor Cuomo because of uh, the great work that New York did to help in this effort, as well as uh, the great work that the Chinese consulate in New York did, um, you know, the vast majority of those PPEs uh, uh, KN95 masks are going to healthcare workers, frontline workers, public safety personnel right here in Massachusetts. That's great. But I, I also heard the governor say, Governor Baker say, that it wasn't enough, that they're going to have to continuously bring this equipment in because you can only use it once or twice and then it gets thrown away. Um, that, and so this, it's a great endeavor. It was a wonderfully humanitarian act on the part of Bob Kraft and his family. Uh, and, and it costs to him, by the way, as I understand it. But um, but it's only the beginning of the need being filled. That's absolutely right, Tom. And that's sort of the scary part of it all is uh, as great as it all is. And it's a it's a moment, a brief moment of, of uh, a positive and maybe a little bit of celebration. It, it, it unfortunately is not enough. And, and if this is the effort one has to go through to obtain uh, uh, these protective materials, I, I don't know how you do go about obtaining everything you need. But uh, with leadership of uh, Governor Baker and the administration and, and leaders of, uh, from, the, from the business community here in Massachusetts, it's those types of partnerships that are going to make it possible uh, to hopefully have maybe a few more incidences uh, like this today so that at least a, more pieces uh, uh, of PPE are available. But you're right, they're, they're not enough. Um, yeah, interestingly, no, if I may, interestingly, right here, uh, professors and, and researchers right here at UMass um, in Massachusetts uh, have determined methodology to cleanse masks, uh, and they have been proven that they still hold efficacy once they've been cleansed. Um, the number of times they can be cleansed is still being debated, but at least we now know. Uh, and there are there are uh, means and methods to do it and a recipe that they've set forth and put forth out into this community uh, of first responders so that they now can at least have 
uh, their their pieces of apparatus last a little bit longer. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me to hear you talk. Uh, I mean, <laughs> medical devices and medicine are not your background, um, but it's amazing how we've all acclimated to the point where we really need to know as much as we can possibly know to help family, friends, clients, and colleagues. And uh, it's all come it's all come full circle where we're all helping one another. Um, we have a couple of different companies coming in asking for our help to make introductions to the hospitals and to uh, and to the state uh, because there are other there are other PPE. Uh, companies that are looking to do business in Massachusetts, and we're taking we're taking that that on on the condition that there that there there are no charges charged, uh, no gouging going on, uh, the prices are in line with what people should be paying, and that uh, we're not making money in the process. Yeah, yeah, and that that's first and foremost is we, we make that very clear. I mean, I think all of us have seen. Uh, offers come through the door that are some are uh, uh, incredibly generous and great and and real and we're happy to run with those uh, and get them in front of the right people because they're going to be helpful and and unfortunately there are some folks out there um, that are are trying to exploit the situation and um, you know it's 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 good to know that uh, what side we're on. So this is usually the moment in time where on this podcast they call it two minutes with Tom. It's it's been great for me to kind of reverse the tables and spend seven minutes with Jamie, and let me do the interviewing. You've been terrific. And we'll do it again, it. Jamie, just to keep people up to speed on what's going on. So we'll do it more frequently as well. So Happy thanks for this. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. On behalf of all of us here at O'Neill & Associates, we hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy. We're proud to continue our work during this time and we'll continue doing everything we can to keep you updated. For daily city, state, and federal updates on the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, please check out our website where updates are posted every morning. Talk to you next week.